0: Hey, y'all. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Worlds of Country podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. On today's episode, I'm joined by Emily Falvey to talk all about her journey as a songwriter in Nashville. It's truly one of my favorite conversations we've had on here so far. Hope you guys enjoy it. We'll talk to you guys on the other side. Hey, Emily, how are you?
1: Hey, I'm great, Andrew. How are you?
0: I'm doing good.
1: What have you been up to lately? oh gracious all sorts of things mostly writing songs Um, i'm gearing up to travel a bunch i'm going to the acms in a few days um, in las vegas and then traveling all over the place going to la to write a little bit just kind of gearing up for travel mode
0: so when did you know that being a songwriter was what you wanted to do with your life
1: that's a good question um, I started writing songs when I was about nine years old. I saw there was this show on Nickelodeon. It might have been before a lot of your listeners time or after, um, but it was called Naked Brothers Band. And there are these two brothers on this show who wrote songs. And I was so fascinated by the idea of writing songs. It was also kind of around the time that Taylor Swift was starting to kind of have her big break. And I saw all these people writing and I was like, I could write songs. I think um, I'd been taking piano lessons from the time I was five. I was horrible at sports growing up. So my parents wanted me to stick to something. Um, and it just so happened that melodies and lyrics started flowing out of me in like fourth or fifth grade.
0: What would you say would be your first step towards really making it a reality.
1: I heard about Belmont when I was in middle school. My dad is a drummer and he was playing in a family band when we lived in Colorado. And the two kids in the family band were obsessed with country music and were dying to move to Nashville. And they were applying to the Belmont songwriting program around that time. I was in, I think sixth or seventh grade and I was writing songs at that point. And I thought it was so cool the idea of studying songwriting as a college major. Um, And I ended up getting into the songwriting program and the rest is kind of history.
0: Most people I think don't even know that you could go to school for that kind of thing.
1: Exactly. I still really, I don't think I would be here if I hadn't found that out. It kind of became my lifelong goal from when I was really young. And I think Belmont is still kind of gaining its national recognition. I think it's a lot more well-known now than it was 10 years ago. Um, But I'm really grateful that I found out about it when I did.
0: So do you feel like that going to Belmont helped you as opposed to jumping in by yourself and moving to Nashville?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I've seen people do it successfully a whole bunch of ways. I know really amazing Grammy winning songwriters who didn't even finish high school. Um, I don't necessarily think that you need education to be a songwriter per se, um, but I do think that the built-in network of Belmont was really helpful to me. I don't know that me moving to town and working as a bartender and just kind of trying to meet people the old-fashioned way, I don't know if that would have worked as well for me. I feel like all of my opportunities came about because I was interning and had that Belmont connection.
0: It kind of gives you that community around you without you having to go search for it.
1: Exactly. I'm really lucky to be a Belmont alum.
0: So how would you say that you've found yourself as a songwriter? How did you find what you want to say and what you contribute as a songwriter?
1: Absolutely. I think this took a while for me. Um, Going to school, I definitely felt myself emulating what other people were doing or feeling like I needed to keep up. And so I think my songs were worse when I was trying to keep up with other people instead of just writing what was really authentic to me. I started to get attention from publishers and started to get more attention in the songwriting program at school when I started to just write my truth, which really a boy broke my heart the summer before my senior year. And I just wrote a bunch of angsty songs in my dorm room about it. And those were the songs that ended up getting me my publishing deal. So I've learned that writing my truth is really what's worked for me. Um, It's definitely gotten harder as I've gone through the process because I have, you know, I'll write with artists that are living a completely different story than I am. And so I'm having to step into their story and kind of make it you know, write as if it were my truth. And so that's been fun to kind of step into different people's stories for a day. But I think figuring out who I was as a writer came from just, we're all a product of our musical influences and our life experiences. So that's kind of where I've found my identity as a writer.
0: So what made you sort of stop chasing everyone else and embrace who you are as a writer?
1: Um, I think having freedom to know that I could be who I really was, I around that time, a bunch of pop companies were moving to Nashville to kind of start signing writers out of Nashville. There was a company called Prescription Songs. And I had a meeting through a college internship that I did with Katie Fagan, who's the head of that office here in Nashville. And she was talking all about these non-country people who were having success. And to me, as a 21 year old person who didn't really identify as a country songwriter at that time, I felt really seen and known. And like, I didn't have to write country songs to be successful. And now here I am five years later, mostly writing country songs, but crazy
0: how that works.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think I bring my own pop melodic sensibility and my own conceptual stuff to country music. Um, But I think artists like Kelsey ballerini and Sam Hunt have kind of, and even Casey Musgraves have made, pop sonic elements a lot more kosher maybe um but I definitely felt like who I was as a writer was safer as more companies started to come to Nashville that didn't focus on country music
0: I feel like nowadays also the genre lines are so blurred and almost irrelevant at this point that who cares
1: it's very true I mean I just am trying to write a good song I definitely as I get older and more jaded about the music business I want to write something that the radio wants to play and sometimes those lines need to be followed but I definitely think that who I am is unconventional and I've been told by a lot of publishers that what I do doesn't sound like anything else which is flattering but also scary you know to to not necessarily do whatever yeah
0: Yeah, because people like to compare things to things that have gone before them and when you don't have that it's almost a little scary Yep. very yeah so um When, when did you say, when would you say that you found that confidence to really embrace that pop side of you?
1: That's a good question. I, um, I still don't know that I have all the confidence in the world, even now, you know, I've been signed as a songwriter for four years and I still have a lot of days where I feel like an imposter and I feel like a fraud. Um, but I'd say I started to settle into, to the sound that I have now, um, in my senior year of college, and I've continued to dial it in and dial it in. When I signed my publishing deal, I was still very green and very fresh to writing songs, especially with other people. You know, a lot of people will write on Music Row for years before they sign a publishing deal. I was mostly writing by myself. I had a few co-writers at Belmont that I was writing with occasionally, but really most of my, most of my attention came from songs that I had written by myself. So it's very interesting because I had to figure out who I was as a co-writer, you know, later on when I was 22 and 23. And I still am kind of figuring that out even today as a 25 year old.
0: So What would you say has been the biggest lesson you've learned along that journey?
1: That's a good question. Um, I would say the biggest lesson is I've heard, gotten a lot of good advice. I had a mentor in college named Emily Wiseband who told me to always be the most vulnerable person in the room. Um, I think that vulnerability and being willing to be honest about what you're going through always creates a safe space for artists to talk about what they're going through. So I always try to be vulnerable. I think there's a delicate line between being vulnerable and oversharing. And I definitely have overshared a lot in my story. Um, but I think just being open and being willing to step into somebody else's story, kind of having empathy is such a necessary part of being a songwriter. And also just being a good ear to listen and take somebody's story and make it into something that's artful um, and serving other people is really kind of the best advice that I've been given.
0: You almost have to be like a therapist. In
1: <laughs> exactly. It literally yeah. is some, it does feel like therapy.
0: So um, what motivates you to wake up in the morning and want to go write songs?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think what motivates me is getting to make music as a job. You know, there are so many people in Nashville who would, you know, kill to be in the position that I'm in. So I want to not take that lightly and always show up with excellence. Um, what also motivates me is I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Enneagram, but it's this personality test with nine different types. It's a whole, it's kind of like a cult following thing in Nashville. Um, and I'm a three on the Enneagram, which is the achiever. So I really am attached. To accolades and success and achieving things. Like in college, I was very committed to getting straight A's. And in being a songwriter, I'm very committed to having success. Um, And I haven't had the success yet that I dream of having, but I do feel like I'm on my way and I'm paving a path for myself. And so I'm honestly just trying to keep laying bricks on my brick road that I'm paving and hope that I can keep having a sustainable career here in Nashville.
0: So how do you define success as a
1: songwriter for you? Well, I think the currency of success in Nashville, in the Nashville industry particularly, is number one songs and having hits. So obviously I want to have hits as I continue to go along. Um, But I also think success is getting paid to make music. I think I have a lot of friends from college who are all at different levels. Some are you know, writing songs for music websites like Songfinch or Sound Better, And they're making, they're paying their bills by writing uh, custom curated songs for people. Um, some of my friends have already written number one songs on the radio that I graduated with. Um, so everybody's kind of at a different level in their career. I think that's kind of the case. You know, there are 40 year olds who have just gotten their first cut and there are 19 year olds who just had a number one on pop radio like Sarah Davis did and Gail did um, this past week. But I think I'm just trying to have a sustainable career. That's what success means to me, is just continuing to get to paid to get paid to write songs. And if music pays my bills, that is just like icing on the cake.
0: So um, how do you avoid playing that comparison game between you and everyone else also chasing down this crazy dream?
1: That is a good question. And I don't know that I'm that great at it. Um, I don't think that Instagram and social media necessarily help especially with my personality type, I'm very committed to achieving. And when I see other people achieving, it's, I I don't want to say it's hard for me because that sounds bad. I think it just, it it motivates me to want to achieve also. Um, I've done a lot of work on this because I think there's a lot of um, this mindset in Nashville that maybe there's not enough spots for everybody or that there are, you know, it depends on who you talk to, but I just, my work that I'm trying to do mentally is to believe in an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. There's a lot about this in psychology of just like framing my thoughts up. Like I have plenty of blank instead of, I don't have enough of blank. I think even somebody who's extremely wealthy, if they look at their life, like I don't have enough money to do X, Y, and Z, you can feel poor even when you're super rich. And I think for me, I get to be a staff songwriter in Nashville, which is like half of the, you know, half the battle. Um, so I don't, I definitely would be lying if I said that I didn't compare myself to other people because I think we all do it to a certain extent. Even the hit writers who have 50 number ones compare themselves to each other, um, which was a lie that I believed that they didn't do that. But I think getting to know hit writers, everybody does it. Um, and so instead of shaming myself for doing it, I would just rather let it motivate me, challenge myself to believe that there's a seat at the table for me just as much as there is a seat yeah. for other people and believing that there are plenty of opportunities to go around.
0: You have to channel that energy in a way that's productive at the end of the day.
1: Exactly. And not yeah. and not fault myself for having moments of, dang, I wish I'd gotten that cut or dang, I wish I'd written that hook or whatever. You know, like those things are natural, but I think they're also flattering to the person who's done such a beautiful, you know, we make art for a living and we get yeah. to just marvel at each other's art all day, which I think is yeah. really special.
0: Yeah. So, what would you say has been the biggest thing you've learned about the industry in your time in the
1: industry? Gracious. I've learned <laughs> many things. <laughs> I've learned some things really the hard way. Um, last year, I had a really hard year of learning things the hard way. Um, I think that I am an optimist by nature and I believe the best in everybody and not everybody has great intentions, which I think I learned. Um, and I really didn't, I think I was just raised to believe that everybody has good intentions and that good always wins in the end. And as a 25 year old, I had to come to grips with maybe that's not always the case. You know, sometimes you do watch bad people win or people who are kind of jerks have big success. Um, but I do think for me, what's so beautiful in in the lesson that I've learned is just that it's all about community and it's about who you choose to be around. And if you do it the right way, um, making music is just supposed to be an opportunity to be vulnerable with one another and to build really beautiful, creative partnerships with other people. Um, I'm an extrovert. So spending time with people is my joy and it recharges me. So stepping into an amazing co-write with two close friends of mine and writing a song that really expresses what one of my friends is going through is such a gift. And to be able to channel you know, somebody's story into art that people all across the world can hear and experience and relate to is so powerful. So I'm trying to not be jaded by the bad things that have happened or the disappointments. Cause there's like for every victory, there's probably a hundred disappointments in the music business. Um, but I'm trying to really revel in the joyful moments and take the hard things in stride.
0: Yeah. So, um, when you finish writing a song that you feel is a hit how do you sort of because you have no control over what happens with it after that so how do you sort of divorce yourself and move on to the the next song
1: that's a that is you know that's the name of the game and i don't know that i'm that good at divorcing myself from it yet i'm still feeling very new to that feeling um i've had one song that was on a chart and it went number one and i had you know like i was definitely checking the chart every week when the chart refreshed. And, you know, I definitely am one of those people that's probably paying too much attention. I've heard other songwriters say, don't check the charts because it'll steal your joy or whatever. Um, I have had to make peace with that. I have no control because I'm not on a radio promotion team and I can't make sure that my song goes number one. I can't make sure that my song gets cut on somebody's record. Um, I think the best thing that a songwriter can do is just to show up, give their all to the song as much as they have that day and hope for the best. And I have to believe at the end of the day that the best song wins. Um, I don't think that's necessarily always the case. I think sometimes songs get cut because of who the writers are or because the song resonates with a radio programmer or whatever. Um, But I do think that The House That Built Me and The One Night Standards, and there are all these songs that kind of make their way to the top and are respected by other people. And so I just have to believe that good songs will find their way. And if they don't, there's another song that's going to find its way, you know? So. Yeah.
0: So um, when you're not getting cuts, how do you sort of keep going and keep yourself positive?
1: That's a good question. Last year was one of those years for me where I felt like my momentum got stalled a little bit and I was, I felt like I was climbing up the ladder and then I had to get knocked down a few rungs and that was, it's humbling. I think, any songwriter would say that they have, they go through seasons and they have really big wins that kind of happen in a snowball. Um, my friend Josh Jenkins just celebrated two number ones within a couple months of each other with fancy like, which is like, you know, you can only dream of having a song that big in your career. And then by dirt, which was another song that was, you know, he dethroned himself on the billboard hot country songs chart um, because by dirt was the next big song after fancy like, so it, it's kind of wild. To see Josh has been working for years and years, and all of a sudden, everything just kind of kicked into place, and he had two giant hits in one year. And I think it does kind of come in waves. Um, Emily Wiseband, my mentor, also told me that the temperature of your career changes every 10 minutes, and it's just kind of like a roller coaster. Um, and so, learning to control my own level of joy has been my biggest challenge and what I feel most committed to on this journey, because I think. Whether I'm getting five Luke Bryan cuts in one week or not getting a cut for six months, um, I just want to feel worthy and feel like I'm accomplishing stuff independent of my level of success. Because I think you can be an amazing songwriter and not be getting cuts. It's just kind of the name of the game. Sometimes you're in a really big winning season and sometimes you're not doing that well. Um, but in every season, just continuing to show up and write songs that I'm proud of, and believing that there's enough success for me to, you know, to go around. So anyway,
0: mirrors life but, in a way.
1: Yeah, it really does. Yeah.
0: yeah. So um, at the end of the day, what are those huge goals that you're you're chasing after?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I would be lying if I said I wasn't chasing being becoming a hit songwriter. I think that's something that a lot of people are aspiring to, that signed publishing deal. Um, I'm also really trying to have success in multiple genres, which I think is something that not everybody aspires to. I work a lot in pop music. I work a lot in dance music. And I work a lot in country music. And so staying relevant in all of those spaces is really important to me in writing excellently in all three, you know, not just being a country girl that dabbles in pop or being a pop girl that dabbles in country. I want to add value to every room that I step into. Um, I also really just want to be a a trusted songwriter for multiple types of artists. Um, I feel really lucky to be in a few artist camps pretty solidly. And I just want to continue to expand my network of co-writers and be somebody that people count on and trust.
0: How important is it to build those relationships where those <coughs> sorry where those people could trust you and turn to you when they need a song?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that's everything in especially the country music market. I think after COVID, a lot of artists have been writing their own record and they have spent a lot of time. Being involved in the writing process, I think there's a a little bit less of an outside song component. I think it still exists. I think great songs still get cut, but I think artists are a lot more involved in the writing process than they were 10 years ago. Um, So, being somebody that an artist can call on and bring into any situation and get a good song, that's how you get cuts these days. Learning how to be a good writer with artists is kind of what I have been spending the past four years of my life trying to do. Um, and some artists and I gel amazingly and some, I walk into a room and of somebody I'm a huge fan of, and I don't have success writing with them and it's a bummer, but it's just kind of, you know, you take that in stride and you move on. So I'm trying to just add value where I can and find, it's kind of like dating romantically. You, you meet people and sometimes it's a total vibe on paper Everything might look amazing and then you get in the room and it's a flop. No, nope. (laughs) Exactly. So I just try to show up and see whatever the day is going to bring and hope that I can find my tribe and my people. And I think I'm starting to do that. And I'm really proud of the cuts that I have been getting and the people that I've been in the room with. So I feel like it's going well, hopefully.
0: How quickly do you sort of know that it's someone you vibe with versus you're not so sure?
1: Oh, every day is different. I feel like some days I show up and I get real scared. We're slow to start, or somebody's not receptive to my ideas, and then we sit there for the first hour, hour and a half, and don't get anything. And it's like, Ooh, this might be a bad day. But I've had examples of that that I've turned around into really amazing songs. Sometimes the process is just slower. Um, I think I have a reputation in town of being a, a quicker writer. Some people think I'm quicker than other people. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I've also been told by my publishers to slow down. Um, but I think I get used to that instant gratification of something kind of falling out and that being way, you know, you hear a lot of stories of hit songs being written in 30 minutes, you know, just kind of falls out. I think there's an element of truth to that. If the process is easy, I usually like that the best, but I think there's also people that I dig in with and get really good stuff, but it might take six hours instead of one. Um, and so I think just learning learning each other's processes it again, like romantic dating sometimes it takes a while to get to know somebody um so I'm just trying to show up and get to know people and serve them, however, their writing process best suits you know how my yeah. writing process best suits them,
0: so do you feel like your best songs are the ones that flow out of you pretty naturally or
1: yeah. I have examples of both honestly, um. I feel like my seeing other seeing other people, that song that Mackenzie Porter recorded that went number one in Canada. Um, I had a title and then Matt McGinn, my co-writer kind of just spouted off stuff. And he kind of, he's a genius and a savant and everybody knows it. And so he's pretty, he, when he's on, he's on. And it's pretty quick. But there are also examples of songs, um, thought this through that I wrote with Josh Kerr Um, I remember leaving the room that day being like, I don't know how I feel about this song. And then Josh on the back end did some work that really made the song have so much more energy in life. And the top line was pretty much exactly the same, um, but the track vibe changed everything. So sometimes songs require digging in on a little bit to get them right. Um, But I definitely think in my experience that the ones that are easier maybe are better because you're not overthinking it but also you know the house that built me took seven years to write and they slaved over every single word in that song so i think there's examples of everything it just depends on what kind of a writer you are
0: so have you ever written a song that you thought was was great and then you looked back on it and you're kind of confused why why you thought that
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I look back on all the songs I read the first year of my deal and I'm like, what was I thinking? I think you to be an artist or a creative type, you're always the most excited about what you're working on currently and not necessarily your old stuff. You get embarrassed of your old stuff. Um, And I think there are great songs in the first year of my catalog. But I, you know, but I look back on those and I'm like, oh, I would approach that differently three years down the road or whatever. So I think I definitely am just trying to trust my instincts and if I have an instinct to do one thing one day, trust that and not shame myself if three years down the road I'm like, oh, I could have written that hook so much differently or whatever, you know.
0: That's part of part of the growth process. So true. Yeah. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time for this.
1: Thank you. I appreciate your of time. Course. Thanks for thinking of me.
0: Of course. Of course. Hey y'all. Thank you guys so much again for tuning in. Hope you liked what you heard. If you liked what you heard from Emily, be sure to go check her out on Instagram at Emily K. Falvey, at Emily K. Falvey. Be sure to go check that out. If you liked what you heard from the podcast, be sure to hit that subscribe button leave us a nice review. We really, really, really appreciate all of that. And go follow us on all social media at of World Country. Greatly appreciated once again. We'll talk to you guys on a Thursday.